This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we're with Robbie Ballinger, and Robbie is somewhere like in Texas. He, he pulled off the side of the road to, to commit to doing this for our listeners. So, Robbie, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I think you got a dog over there somewhere. You got your van. Yeah, I'm right. I, I'm in between uh, Austin and uh, heading up to Denver, where I live. And my dog's here with me. She might come in and out of frame a little bit. That's totally fine, man. Well, uh, well, again, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you and share your story. And uh, really, before we dive in, man, I like to hear people's backstories and kind of what made them the man they are today. So why don't you give us a little background, if you can, Robbie? Uh, yeah. So for me, I grew up in uh, rural Georgia, up in the northeast Georgia mountains, um, through, uh, went to college for a bit, and it really wasn't working out for me. And my wanderlust took hold. And from there, I moved to Alaska and then to the Virgin Islands for a couple of years. And it's kind of my formative years down there trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do. From there, I moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, that's where my mom had moved while I was away um, being a vagabond. And it sucked. I stayed there for about a decade and was in the restaurant industry, worked my way up through fine dining in Austin, and found myself uh, overseeing operations and being part owner in some Neapolitan pizzerias in Austin. Uh, anyone in Austin is Bufalina Pizza. They're a really great spot. And yeah, that was kind of my trajectory for quite a while and just found that it wasn't working for me as far as the stress I was putting on myself in the in the position and left, left the job and from there decided to take on a run across the United States. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, the restaurant business is a tough one. And I did that while I was in college. I worked in, I was a bartender and all that stuff and it's late nights, man. It's a crazy world. It is. It's relentless. You know, they never, they never really close down. Uh, you know, like right. you, you never hear of a restaurant closing for a week or so to give everybody a break. So if yeah. you're the one overseeing all that, it's just, it's around the clock ordeal. And yeah. it was very rewarding for a really long time. And then it just got to the point where it wasn't as rewarding and it was time for me to look elsewhere for what would fuel fuel my soul and fuel my passion. And so you mentioned it, you said you ran across the country. So if anybody heard that, they heard it correctly. You literally ran across the country. So we'll, we'll, we'll go through that, but, but walk us through the time when you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to, you know, start on the West coast and run. Cause I think you went West to East. Yeah. And uh, like, how does that even go down and how does that even happen? Yeah. So how I ended up in all of this, uh, as I said, I was overseeing these the operation of these restaurants. And when I, started that role, I was living, as many people do in the rest restaurant industry, a lifestyle of work hard, party hard, doing yeah. a lot of both of those things. And as the rest, when we, we opened the restaurants, they were wildly successful. And it was clear pretty quickly that I was going to need to change 
my habits in order to take on this role for which had been bestowed upon me. And in that, I found running as being a great stress reliever reliever and a way to just stay accountable to myself. Um, So that was where running came in. And then when leaving the restaurant, um, we moved to Denver, Colorado from Austin. And in that time, we're refining our food choices. And in this, I found a plant-based diet to be most optimal for my performance. Hmm. And at that point was soul searching for what I wanted to do with my time and finding the finding something with an environmentalism was really speaking to me. And these combos, these things started to kind of roll together as this plant-based diet and understanding it had pretty profound implications for our environmental crisis in front of us. And then also the running was there. And I, on a chance encounter, was down in the Copper Canyon in uh, northern Mexico running a race and met a guy who had ran across the country, a guy named Patrick Sweeney. And just that meeting of him, it made it clear to me that it was something that was possible. I kind of sized the guy up and realized he was just a guy. He was a very talented runner, probably more talented than me. But it it was something that resonated as just the wow factor of it. That was really what got me. I mean, when he told me, I just, wow. (laughs) And I never really contemplated something like that before. So that was kind of what set the seed and uh, then it was just how to exit it. And that was the next big part. Yeah. I decided to do this on March uh, 15th of 2018. And I set a year date from that day. I wanted to do it a year from then. And I started on March 16th, 2019. So yeah. I hit my goal within a day. And yeah, then that was that whole next process. was figuring That's out amazing. how to put all us and both together to make it. So how did you do that? So do you just walk away from all work? And I mean, because obviously if it takes you 75 days to do that, unless you had a lot of vacation, I mean, you just walk away from that and then uh, try to get some sponsorships. I mean, is that how you survive financially and all that? Well, so I'd already left the restaurant. That was yep. something I had done uh, a couple months prior and we moved to Denver. And I, when I did that, I sold my shares in the company. Got it. Uh, and it, 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 to be honest, at the time it had invested, it, they were still, we were still working to get into the green on the restaurants, which I think, you know, as most people that have been involved in restaurants know that can take years. Uh, but I just didn't have the time and I needed those finances in order to find what I wanted to do next. Right. So I knew, I, I consciously went into understanding I was going to take about six months off work and right. I had lined up a budget that would allow that. Uh, but then that, by the time I found this, that six months was about over. So, (laughs) so it was, it was definitely, things were really tight financially for quite a while. Um, I did take a job on like a part-time job at a wine shop because in the restaurants, that was kind of my specialty. So it it allowed a little bit of income in order to moving forward with this. And and the, the key was, was to find some sponsors and the host was to find a sponsor that would see the value in the end goal, the project itself, and would pay me to keep the wheels turning. So that things were tight for a while. And I definitely, you know, leveraged, I, I used a little more than I had at times. I, I, I used a credit card to get through it. And luckily was able to, with the sponsorships and with some other investments, get free and clear of that. Um, but it was definitely a gamble for sure. Right, right. And I think that's, uh, my guess would be, that's just you following your passion, right? And it, it's, it's, you wake up one day and you can only take so much stuff. And, uh, and then you just say, you know what, even if it breaks me, I'm going to do it. Is that a fair statement? I, I absolutely would say that. And it's, ha- and, and it's that, that hope in that hope in like the synergy of, of this world we live on is that if you put yourself out there towards, towards your true intentions and the things that you love, that 
hopefully things will conspire that will allow that to happen. And I put faith in that probably more wholeheartedly than I ever had in my life. And I stand here to say it worked. You know, I, I don't want to get too like woo woo about it, but I think there is a lot to be said about following your dreams, following your heart. And you can't just do it blindly. I mean, you have to be calculated sure. and you have to, you have to be really um, strategic in the connections you're going to make and how to put together a plan. But if you do that, and you're relentless enough, things do start to come together. I definitely had many of many a weeks and a couple of months to where I, I questioned whether that was actually going to work out that way. Right. But uh, hopefully it did in the end. Got to have faith, right? Exactly. You sure do. That's right. So you, so March of 18, I think is what you said. You started that kind of that vision, that goal. So talk to us about the, the planning, the training, the kind of the, the physical and the mental training for that stuff because it wasn't uh, – while it was obviously hard physically, it was probably brutally hard mentally, correct? It sure was, yeah. And, and you know, I think a lot of the perseverance that it took to get through it, I, the training for that came through trying to find these sponsors and dealing with rejection and going, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Definitely sure. didn't happen overnight. It took quite a while. And in that experience, did I gain a lot of perseverance that would carry me through later? Uh, and then physically, as soon as I decided, it was like, okay, it's time to really get after it. Um, and I, oh, oh, sorry, dog. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then in that experience was, was, I was already running a lot, but then it was to start seeing what it was like to run every single day. So I was running 50, every 14 days, taking every 15th day off, doing at least 10 miles a day. <sighs> and that was for the first three or four months. And then the second three or four months, I upped the mileage to about 110 miles a week. So getting in a couple of 20 miles run on top of 10 miles every day doing that every day wow. getting it out there putting in the miles even when i didn't want to and sometimes setting myself up to make sure it was going to be even a little bit harder uh no like going out without eating first uh, going out early in the morning after you know maybe staying up working on the plan a little too late and uh stuff of that nature so that was kind sure. of the first two phases and then the last phase which was also a big part of my pitch to sponsors was to run a bunch of ultra marathons kind of back to back doing them every two weeks apart and doing that for a couple of months and that was one to normalize the distance i was doing mainly 50 milers and 100k as well uh so just to know i could run that distance and do it comfortably and then also to promote my run and also the brands for which i brought with me on the run right. Uh, right it allowed it allowed more than just opportunity to run it put their brand in front of runners at all these, all these races. Yeah. So then that's how that all works, right? When you see people do these things, that that's what it comes down to is the brand wants exposure to your platform because exactly. then more people will buy whatever it is you're promoting and uh, allows you to feed your family and do all the things that you need to do to make things happen. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, bringing in also a, a mission, like doing it for this, uh, for a plant-based cause also helps a lot too. If you can align yourself with companies yeah. that have similar, um, you know, they're on that same page and they want to, to also get to embody that mission for what you're being a part of. And that was what I did. I found Natamu Dairy Free Ice Cream and they were also on like a plant-based advocacy mission. And so right. it rolled in that really well and it allowed them to have a face for that and show that they were putting their resources behind someone that was going to try to do something as audacious as run across the country. That's crazy. So the uh, plant-based, so talk to us about that. So is that something still today in your life or do you, is that, that's become a way of life for forever for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as an athlete, uh, it's definitely for me the way to go. I think there's been a lot of really great 
um, examples coming out recently to kind of further that that thought in that kind of practice. There's a movie recently that came out that's on Netflix called The Game Changers. Yep. Uh, feel really lucky to be a part of kind of the fraternity of that. I have some friends that were in the film. And um, yeah, it, it works. It really does work in athletics. It really works really well in running. And a lot of that being lower inflammation leads to less soreness and meat causes inflammation. And if I can leave that out of my diet, I don't have that issue. And then on the dairy side of things, um, just feeling a lot, a lot less slim, a lot lighter, uh, no GI issues or much less uh, has helped a lot. And then in the run itself, it was really vital. I was consuming 8,000 calories a day in order to keep, keep moving. And I, I really can't fathom doing that had it not been plant-based just for the, the cleanness and feeling yeah. light enough to continue. I had to eat 11 times a day. I would stop every five miles. I would rehydrate and have a little bit to eat. And yeah, the plant-based meal plan really, really was a benefit in, in that, in executing that. And then it also, it's, it, what keeps me really grounded in it is also the environmental implications. Um, you know, I think we are over consuming meat and it's really not sustainable globally environmentally. So if, if for me, an absolute stance on that is really important, but we really just need to get the pendulum a little further away from it for it to be something that works for us environmentally on a global a global scale. So there's definitely a passion and a cause behind that for you, which makes it, I'm using air quotes if anybody's not watching, but it, it makes it easier, right, to do that when there's a passion and a calling behind it, right? Versus just saying, you know what, man, I feel like a big cheeseburger today or a, you know, a big old pepperoni pizza or whatever like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that does. It keeps you It keeps you in it for sure, is those, those things. And then there's the ethical standpoint that comes in as well. Um, it does keep me in it, but I've also found that I didn't really have to give up a lot in order to, to stick with it. There's a lot of great recipes and ways with which you can find a way to, you know, cure any of those cravings that do come up. You know, yeah. I do, I'm always a big burger guy, but now there's a great veggie burger, uh, recipes I know of. And now we have all these examples like the impossible burger. Yeah. So you can get one of those at Burger King today now, right? <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. They're still going to Burger King. I'm just not, I'm getting the impossible burger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's good. So talk to us about this running thing. So it's 3,175 miles. I think I saw across the country in 75 days. Um, talk to us about that, man. How, how does that, if you can, I'm sure you got a story behind those 75 days. What was that like? Yeah. So um, it averaged out to about 43 miles a day. Um, it's, it's a long day. You're out there a while when people, you know, and we think about running. I think a lot of people think about marathons and such. And one thing I like to tell people is I slowed it down a lot. You know, when you're talking about ultra running, it, it is a run. And then you're running the flats, you're running the downhills. And then a lot of the uphills, you're having the power hike. So I was out there anywhere between 11 and 16 hours a day. <laughs> and you really gain a new understanding of time. Um, time starts to pass in a much different way. And um, the wear and tear on your body is, is definitely a thing because our bodies, I do feel, are born to run. There's a great book called Born to Run that was a big influence for me in all of this. But our bodies weren't more born to run on asphalt. Um, so you really, I really had to deal with that. And, and the training going into it was really what allowed me to persevere that many days putting that kind of pounding on my body. Um, I had consulted with a couple people going into it who had done similar feats. And the kind of advice I was given was, there's going to be two like defining uh, dates that are going to really matter for you to be able to accomplish this. And that's if you can make it through the first two weeks without getting injured, then you're probably your body's going to hold up. And that really uh, rang true. Once I made it past the two weeks, I felt like my body 
would sustain. And then the second being after the first month that you would have made it through the adaptation phase and your body and your mind would just align with the task at hand and it wouldn't be as much of a battle between those two things in, in, your, in wow. your inner being. And that definitely rang true too. I made it about day 28, 29 and I felt uh, there was a, a profound change that happened and then it was just getting up every day and do it. This was what I did at that point. So what, I mean, I guess when you're doing that, you have a goal, you have a mission, like anything in life, you just commit to it. Even on the days you didn't want to do it, what was your jump start? I mean, what, what got you going? Um, it definitely, there were days it was easier than others and the mornings were always the hardest. Uh, waking up in the morning, <laughs> you just, you open your eyes and you're like, oh, here I am again. Oh my God, I got to right. do this. It's again. like Groundhog so, Day. Yeah, absolutely. So a good cup of coffee goes a long way. Um, a lot, having a lot of understanding, something I learned early on, and I, I think it's something for me to, to use in life as I continue and something I like to tell others about is what I learned out there was every day was different. Uh, one day never really equated to what the next day would be like. And having, having that understanding went a long ways. If I was having a really hard day, I would have to rely on that, on that knowledge that and knowing that tomorrow was a new day. And when I woke up, I'd have a new chance at it. And hopefully it would be better than whatever I was experiencing at that yeah. time. So those kind of lessons as I learned them went a long ways. And I think that was a lot of what came out of after that, you know, first month was I had learned those types of lessons. And then to do something like this too, one, you got to have a reason because there are going to be really dark days and there's going to be days you don't want to continue. And my, the mission of the plant-based uh, advocacy meant a lot to me. So having that every day went a long ways in keeping me accountable to my goal. But also I think with any goal, a big thing that like, once you make your mind up to do something is I think it's really important to tell others about it. And once yep. you do that, it, it provides a, a high level of accountability. I mean, I had told my whole world that I was going to do this and I didn't want to be someone who didn't hold, you know, follow through. I knew that if I could follow through on this, it would set an example of my character and what I was capable of for future endeavors, whether that be in athletics or business or whatever comes next. So all those things kind of together just kept me pushing one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I think it's accountability right there when you say that. I know for me personally, my professional, some things I've accomplished along the way, I've talked to people about that stuff. And then when it actually happens, you're just, they're kind of like, whoa, you know, I, you know, you actually said that and then it happens, but it's like that going public is a big deal because that allows me to then stay accountable to those people, even though they may not know it. It gets, yeah. it gets people in the crowd, right? It's a crowd. You're gonna sure. run, and then you got to get out there and then you just have to execute and make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, in, in building a business or building a project like this, I think a lot of people from the outside, like they see that it's a lot of it's luck, but it's really not. It's intention mm -hmm. and it follows through. And I think yeah. that's something that through anything, I think a lot of times you can look at, I think a good one to look at is like people that make it in uh, Hollywood or in acting and stuff. And it's like, oh, they got a break. They were lucky. And it's like, no, nah, if you really look, 90% of those people, they were very intentional in what they did and right. they were intentional in how they went about making sure that what they wanted out of, out of, out of that was that there was success at the end. Yeah. And it's just important to do that. And yeah, to tell people what you want to do. Once you make up your mind, I think it's feel free to dream and keep things close until you're ready. But when you're ready, the, I think the most defining factor of me getting this done was the fact that other people knew I was going to do it. So what was the craziest thing that happened to you in that 75 days and that 3,175 miles? You got maybe one or two stories you can share with our listeners that was just like most people would have quit? 
Uh, yeah, you know, I overcame shin splints in five days. Uh, that's mm. something that I think, you know, anyone that ran or had any experience with something like that, it's not something that most people overcome by continuing to do what they're doing. And that, it even blew my mind. Uh, shin splints set in pretty early on, like day eight or nine. Because mm. you go from running, you know, at best I was running 115 miles a week. And the next thing you know, I'm doing 315 miles a week. So overcoming uh, things such as that physical ailment on the run was something I didn't know was possible. And it really, it's a mind game. And if you continue to tell your body that you can do something, eventually it succumbs to the task yep. at hand. So that one blew my mind. That was definitely something. So how did that happen? Uh, I mean, is that like, you know, icing and wrapping and, you know, all that kind of stuff? I mean, how do you just get over shin splints? Are you just power yeah, through it? Yeah, uh, a little bit of it's powering through, but a lot of it is making small adjustments while continuing to move forward. So I had to change out my shoes. I went into a much more padded shoe that had um, a drop. So a traditional running shoe, your heel is going to sit much higher than your toe or about eight to 11 millimeters. And going into this, I was running in a different type of shoe that had zero drop. It was meant to mimic what it's like to run barefoot, but with structure and padding around it. And it just wasn't the right shoe for this application. So we switched into something that was more appropriate. Uh, I put a compression sleeve on and switched into ankle socks. And those three things and slowing the pace down and walking out some miles. And then when I would come into stops, I would ice and elevate for about five minutes to 15 minutes at a time. And doing those things, yeah, I was able to overcome it. Wow. So that was like a big like wow moment for me. Uh, that was something for sure. Um, another big one was if anybody's ever driving through uh, kind of northern Arizona, northern New Mexico, I really recommend trying to take a road that takes you through the Navajo Nation. I was really impressed and wowed by that community hmm. and how beautiful that area was. Little did I know that they have a reservation out there. The Navajo Nation is about the size of West Virginia. And wow. when you get in there and really experience what's going on, it's mind-blowing. There's like whole narratives and stories going on within this country that we don't hear much about and that one was something that yeah it really shocked me to know that that existed there and there there were people that are out there living very interesting lives and they deserve some attention and also i you know from a plant-based perspective and nutrition i think it's a part of the country that we're really neglecting hmm. and i think there's a lot of opportunity for industry and for people to go help these people out um that was definitely something i found really profound and in general, people along the way, um, I think something I like to talk about when I talk about this run is the polarities of our country right now, whether that be, you know, politics and just socially, we are definitely gravitating towards two camps. And my experience running, being putting feet on the ground for 75 days was we're not as different as everybody thinks we are. Absolutely. And it's really important to make those make take, get out there and make those assessments for yourself and don't trust in media and don't trust in your phones to define and decide what everyone what your fellow man and your people within this country are right. it, and if you open your eyes and your heart you'll find that we have a lot more similarities and differences and there's a lot of beauty out there um, there are some differences and there's some things we've got to work on but the only way we're going to work on it is if we come together and we realize that we we all want good for each other and yeah. for our families and for those around us. And that, Doesn't that, that seem that, so logical? It does, but we've lost sight, sight of it. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone going into this. I, I had a lot of internal struggles with things that are going on out there. And I wasn't open people and I was putting labels on people. And um, yeah, I'm trying to really break those down for myself. And, and that opened your eyes on this run. It did in a big way. And it's just, uh, 
I think it's vital to us moving forward and, and yeah. trying to figure all this out. Did you ever feel unsafe, like anywhere in the country where you're just like, you know, this is probably not safe for me to be running or, or did you find that it was the world came together and just everybody kind of embraced it? Yeah, if I did feel unsafe, it was more due to like not having a shoulder on the side of the road and traffic issues. Right. As far as other people, no, not at all. Uh, there were some people that I think I went into, like I'd see people coming up and I'd be like, oh, I really don't want to have to, you know, this could be a bad, a bad situation. And as soon as I'd get there, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't really have any of that. And me, me nor my crew, did we ever feel unsafe due to other people. It was always just Which circumstantially awesome. about traffic. <laughs> and how many people are with you during this? Like, what's that crew look like? Yeah, so my crew uh, consisted of anywhere between three and five people at a time. In that it was a 75-day project, it was really hard to justify asking somebody to be out there the whole time. So I had people coming and going. I did have one full-time crew member, uh, and just wildly, I met him two weeks before I started my run. We had spent a total of 20 minutes before each other with each other before we set out from Huntington Beach. I met him uh, down at the same race the year before where I had met Patrick Sweeney, the guy okay. who ran across the country. Went back down there for that race. It was a place that I find and hold dear, and I wanted to go down there for like one last bit of inspiration before setting out met this tall, lanky British guy named Elliot, and he was about to head up to the States. He had never been there before, and he was also plant-based, and a little conversation struck up, and next thing I know, he was knocking on the camper door about 18 hours before we left, and he said he wanted to stay the whole time, and he was with me. So <laughs> he was awesome. my It's like, hey, I've never been to the States. What do you think about seeing the whole country in 75 days? <laughs> exactly. He got to see parts of it that I, I, I doubt many Brits have. You know, right. we were through the Navajo Nation and uh, crossing him. He ran with me across between Arizona and the New Mexico state line in the Navajo Nation. And I cracked up and I was like, Elliot, I have to say, I think you're probably the first threat to ever run from Arizona <laughs> into New Mexico right. in the Navajo Nation. <laughs> so he was out there the whole time. I had a crew chief who was uh, with me for the first couple of weeks and she had to leave for a bit and came back out. She actually is my... Uh, sister-in-law to be my fiance Shelly it was her sister she's a plant-based okay. nutritionist and she had also done the Appalachian Trail plant-based that year so she brought a lot of the things she had learned on that and applied wow. it to my run and are they running uh, with you or are they like in that van right there like kind of following you either ahead or behind so yeah the, I had a camper that was being pulled by a van I slept in the van I had a bed built out in there and the camper was where my crew lived and they were able to prepare all my food and their food and that and they would go five miles ahead. So they'd stop okay. every five miles, have a little bit of food ready for me, put more water in my pack, and I'd keep going. And then throughout the day, people would come run a bit with me here and there. I'd say Elliot probably ran the most with me throughout since he was with me the whole time. And all in all, I'd say he probably ran about a quarter of the distance. Uh, and then others would come out for whether it be just a five-mile section or spend part of the day with me. And then that was rotating crew coming and going different people out there at different times helping me along the way and then also people would come out just for the day whether it be friends or also people that were finding me on social media and just wanting to be a part of it at the miles with that had to be pretty cool too just show up in some random town like and in, in, i saw something like oklahoma felt like the longest part ever for you right because it's oh yeah going from the west to the east right <laughs> and it's it's uh yeah. That's a tough one. So that's got to be pretty cool, though, when people just show up and say, hey, hear your story, man. I'm here for support. That's going to feel really good. It was, and it, it really provided an opportunity to get to know a lot of people. Um, you, you spend this time out on the road with them, and you're, you have a captive audience. Like, yeah. There's nothing else to do but talk to each other. 
and that was really nice both on strangers and for friends and family for which the way life is these days we don't have as much time with each other as we all wish and there were a lot of opportunities for me to connect with people in a way that i don't that's think i would cool. have been able to otherwise right that's really cool help people slow down exactly yeah that's good so uh what, what would you say you, the biggest learning you had about yourself so when you look robbie ballinger in the eye now what's different today as we sit here in december of 2019 than when you came into the year 2019 what's different about you uh, definitely, I think the, the most obvious would be just a higher level of confidence in myself and my abilities and my follow through. Uh, those things are there and I think will stay with me for quite a while. Uh, also, just not sweating the small stuff and believing in flow and allowing things to transpire. Um, definitely someone who's battled a lot of anxiety in my life and that anxiety at a lot of times I didn't really know where it was coming from. I think a lot of it came from uh, always feeling as though the rug's about to be pulled out from under me from whatever it is I'm doing and understanding that one, that's not going to happen. And if it does happen, I have the skills to overcome those things. Yep. Person, so I how did you that, get over that though? I mean, I've, I've been pretty open on this. I've dealt with anxiety, you know, from even from a seventh grade, you know, basketball game, I was a, you know, sick or whatever beforehand. I mean, I'd still go out there and could play. Right, but you're, the anxieties can take over for a little bit. And so, how did you get over that personally? Um, I think it was through again through the perseverance of just setting out on something that was so audacious and big, and then getting out there and like tangibly feeling how hard it was and how big the struggle was in overcoming those obstacles day after day. It just it was a practice, and then through that practice, I evolved my sense of who I was and having. Mm just the confidence in my, in my abilities as a man, as a, as a human to overcome adversity in a way that maybe I always felt as though there was something that was around the corner that would be bigger than me and bigger than my, my skill sets or my levels or my, my ability to persevere. And I just, yeah. I just don't feel that as much anymore. Um, there still is some to a degree. It's not sure. something that I'm completely cured of, but it's just something I, I can I handle a lot better than I should be able to. I think if you're like me, it's like I don't think anybody's really ever cured of it as much as it is. You you learn how to to uh, channel that, and you also learn it becomes a friend and a and a and a strength, not a not a weakness. Exactly. Yeah, and and to use it and exactly as a tool and understanding when it does set in is to have enough um, awareness to look within and try to find where it's coming from and diagnose it. And then if you diagnose it and you find, well, it's coming from this, well, maybe that's something I need to put some focus into and I need to acknowledge and I need to take care of yeah. or the acknowledgement that it doesn't really, it's not grounded. And then in that having, being conscious enough to let it go yeah. and, and, and really just looking for it, where it's rooted at from and then yeah exploring that and overcoming it whether it means action or letting it go yeah and i think uh, we'll call it fear call it anxiety call it whatever you want but i think if you're like me and i ask this question to every single person on the show how many of the fears or anxieties you put in your mind actually have blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be yeah not many at all yeah. if any you know it's something our mind is you know, our mind is a thing that it can be our, our worst enemy or it can be our greatest tool. And that that's something that's taken me a long time in life to understand. And it's still something that I'm working at every day. Yeah. Uh, but but you have more control over it. You got to let you got to acknowledge that that voice, there is a voice in your head. And it's that thing that every day is talking you in and out of things. And and it's it's creating these irrational fears or these yeah. irrational things that haven't happened yet and probably aren't going to happen. 
and the minute you can acknowledge that it exists and start to try to live more presently and letting that voice go and, and acknowledging and being present. I think that was something I learned out there is you can only, I mean, if you got, if you're out with one goal in mind for 11 to 18 hours a day, right. you eventually run out of things to ponder and you got to start being present and you start paying attention to the birds and the animals around you and all these things. And, and taking that feeling that I got from that, which was to be in the most flow state I'd ever been in my life and try to apply that to every day now and being present in the present moment and not getting caught up in my internal dialogue. Yeah. And how do you do that? I mean, what advice would you have for somebody that struggles with that? Right. The, the, and I struggle with it, the, 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 the pace of life with all the craziness going on. And then, you know, those of us that have kids and we go home and then it's, it's kid events. And then next thing you got to get to bed and then it's like, get up and we all do it. Right. And parents talk about it all the time. How do we slow down to enjoy the journey? I mean, I enjoy the journey. I, I love my life. I'm very blessed. But you know, you have those moments where you're thinking about something else and you should be over here thinking about X. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't think I'm an expert on it. Like I'm still learning myself. I think some things that came out of the run and where I, I, a practice that I got into after the run that at times I still have to remind myself of is it starts in the morning. And I, I find that going back to, I mentioned a minute ago, kind of our devices, our phones and how they, they can make us have a lens on the world that's not what it is but they can mm-hmm. also just practice from what is tangible and real in front of us so i've tried to really as best i can stay away from my phone for the first hour when i wake up That's and nice. drink a lot of water and be present in the moment in my my little house my fiance and our animals and try to ground myself in the beginning in the morning and hope that i can carry that with me throughout the day um that's helped a lot and then i i also like found that focusing on like find something to focus on that is tangible and real like if you're at your kid's basketball game like taking the time to like appreciate and look at like I don't know like tangibly the style of what everyone's wearing around you or something to bring you back in to reality and and let your mind kind of go from those thoughts that are most likely not going to actually come to fruition and get back to what's tangibly in front of us and pay attention to that and also, like, engage with people. Talk to people. People are I, – I used to have a really hard time outside of my job being in the restaurant. I would have to turn it on, and I would smooth, and I would create conversation. And a lot of that was just executing my job. But since this run, the reality – one thing I realized out there was people are fascinating. You really do take – Everybody's time. got a story, right? You do, yeah. And if you, if you can be a good listener and also, like, bring a good story to the table – there's there's just a big community around us of people and everybody's hungry for that. Like everybody needs more interaction and they want to talk. And if you can be the bigger person to put yourself out there first and enter into conversations in a way that's non-threatening and lets people feel safe, then you can have these amazing conversations in all this mundane time where we now I feel are so quick to just pull our phones out and start scrolling. Well, I think, and you're right. I mean, I thought about it when I was, uh, I started this podcast about, it'll be three years this February 6th. And so, you know, you start something, I'd never done it before. I'm not a podcast guy. I, I run a wealth management firm and, you know, have a wife and four kids and just had this since after, you know, a nice bottle of red wine on a Tuesday before Christmas of 2016. It's like, you know what? I think I could do a podcast. And then I text a few people and they're all like, yeah, I'll join you. And then you have that fear of like, oh, who the hell, one, who the hell is going to listen, right? I thought it'd be like me and my mom and dad and that's about it, right? And so, and now all these people listen and you get these nice letters in and, and that's all nice and stuff. And I, I love that, but I, there's no way I thought I could have a guest every Monday. 
and now here we are and you're the 157, 158th person I've had the pleasure to interview you. And to your point, it's like there are so many people out there that are willing to share, but we as humans have to go look for it and be open to having conversations that with a guy that I've never talked to in my life named Robbie Ballinger and hear his story in a van in Texas, right? And it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's cool. I appreciate you bringing that up and talking about that because you're spot on. And, and we're not unique, right? Like everybody wants that, but everybody's right. afraid that the person sitting next to them doesn't. And it's just, I'm here to say it's not the case. Like we're all dying for more interaction. Yeah. And we, and it's just, it's one of those things too. It's just going to heal us as a, as a, as a community. I, I don't want to like project too much that I think we're just so flawed as a society, but we have some things to overcome right now. And yeah. a lot of it is just, getting back to just connecting with people like we have put ourselves in boxes and we just got to get rid of that and a lot of that yeah. comes through being open and having yeah. faith that other people want to be open amen and i think too to your my point of the podcast thing and i think what you were saying earlier it, i would put you know i know you were on rich rolls podcast I mean that guy's awesome right and and so you know me as a guy that runs a wealth management firm or a podcast guy whatever you put other people other big huge massive companies or huge podcasts they're no different than i am the guy that yeah. ran across the country you found out he was no different than you are he put yeah. his pants on the same way you did right i always say two legs at a time i'm just kidding you know one <laughs> leg at a time right but and then you believe that and then you go made it happen and you ran across the damn country in 75 days yeah yeah and got and paid to do it yeah, right. That's right. The, that's still blows my mind. <laughs> Somebody's gonna pay me to run across the country. Yeah, yeah, and it's true though, and and I think that's a big thing for everyone to, to realize too. Is yeah, just like everybody does, they put their pants on one leg at a time. We all have families, we all have anxieties, we all have hopes and dreams, and yeah. whether you are like, yeah, guy runs across the country, somebody hosting a podcast, or some A-list celebrity or whatever right. it is and just not being intimidated by those things and being open to whatever life can throw at you and being your most optimal self. That's right, man. So I know you're working on your website. Um, where can our listeners find more of Robbie Ballinger? Robbie Ballinger uh, on Instagram at Robbie Ballinger. It's R-O-B-B-I-E and then last name Ballinger, B-A-L-E-N-G-E-R. Right now, that's my best spot. I am working. I've got a I've got the URL for that as well, uh, but if you go on there, it's not very exciting at the moment. Yeah. But I'm. That's all right. You're working on it, man. You just got done running across the country. It's not like you've had anything to do, right? Yeah. So yeah, working through that. But um, for now, I, I I post pretty regularly on Instagram and yeah. tell the story of what I'm up to, whether it be athletics or my home life. And then I'll start putting on there what my bigger goals are coming up in the near future. Awesome, man. Well, it's been great having you on the circuit of success, Robbie. Uh, enjoy it. What's the, what's the biggest thing? Uh, what's the next, you know, your cross country, what's the next big thing you're going to go do? You got that made up yet? No, working through it, working through it. Uh, I've enjoyed being on the bicycle some, it's just a little bit faster and a little less, uh, <laughs> impact on my legs. So it may be something in that, uh, maybe some stuff in Europe running, running in Europe, some this, this coming year. I ran, uh, helped a guy run across the UK after my run. Oh, and him wow. and I hit it off really well. His name's William Gouge, and he's a really excellent young guy, and we've been talking about some stuff. So that's the kind of stuff I'll be talking about on social media. Love as it. Soon as we, get, we get it all figured out. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for being here, Robbie. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, 
Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 